This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Last Sunday, we finished a four-week teaching series entitled The Missionary, where we explored the journey of transformation that we are on as followers of Jesus. And that's a journey that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, is about being transformed into the image or into the likeness of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that God sent his son Jesus as the much-anticipated king from the line of David that the people of God had been waiting for. And God sent Jesus to earth also with a mission. Jesus came to restore God's presence with his people, which had been broken by sin, and he came to proclaim and embody God's kingdom on earth. And so Jesus very much came as a missionary. And we are being formed in his image to carry on that mission. We are being formed into missionaries into followers of Jesus who live as missionaries in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and among the least of these. And this morning, uh, we are beginning a new teaching series exploring the very heart of this kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim and embody, and that we are also to proclaim and embody as his followers. And it's called our new series, Jubilee Life. And we're going to get started this morning uh, by taking a look at a scene from the movie Yesterday, which is a really clever story about a fledgling musician named Jack Malik, who, uh, after being hit by a bus while riding his bike during this really strange global power outage, uh, discovers something that he can't believe. So take a look at this scene from the movie Yesterday. Ah, so when Jack's friends present him with a guitar to replace the one that got destroyed in his bike accident. He plays them a bit of the song Yesterday. And as we saw, he is completely aghast that they not only have never heard this song, but they've also never heard of the Beatles. They hear Jack sing this song, and they just think that it's a nice song that Jack wrote. Not Coldplay, mind you. but a nice song, which is completely mind-blowing for Jack, because for him, Yesterday is not just a nice song. This is one of the greatest songs ever written. Now, we looked at that scene because Jack's performance of Yesterday and his friend's response to it gives us, I think, a very interesting glimpse into what Jesus' experience might have been like when he gave his first public sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. Just like Jack selected yesterday with intentionality, right? because as he said, a great guitar requires a great song, Jesus was similarly intentional. He was similarly purposeful about opening the scroll in the synagogue to Isaiah chapter 61, because a great sermon requires a great text. And Jesus read these words from Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus reads these words from the prophet Isaiah, and then he makes this incredibly bold announcement. And that announcement is that he himself is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. That the spirit of the Lord is on him. That he has been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is a proclamation, actually, of jubilee. And like Jack's friends, right, when they heard him sing the song yesterday, Jesus' audience is similarly left in disbelief and, and stunned. And so what they, they are without anything to say. They just are sitting there staring at Jesus. So what is this proclamation of jubilee that Jesus is making? Why is it so significant? And why does it elicit the response that it does in the synagogue? Why the disbelief? Why the stunned response? Well, this year of the Lord's favor that Jesus proclaims, Jubilee, has its roots actually all the way back in the story of the Israelites' escape from Egypt. After God's people had been living as immigrant slaves in Egypt for more than 400 years, God heard their cries and he moved to rescue them. He moved to free them from their oppression and to restore their dignity as people who had been created in his image. And in the aftermath of that rescue, after Moses had led them out of Egypt and led them across the Red Sea, which God, remember, miraculously parted for them so that they could escape, God not only wanted his people to remember their rescue, but he also wanted them to live their lives in response to it as well. He wanted them to live as his representatives. He wanted them to live in a way that reflected his character and his nature. He wanted them to live in a way that was distinct from their neighbors. And part of that involved God's establishment of a series of social laws that were built around the rhythm of the Sabbath, the rhythm that God established in creation when he rested on the seventh day. And so every seven years, the law stipulated that the Israelites were to observe a Sabbath year. In the same way they were to observe a Sabbath at the end of every week, at the end of every seven years, they were to observe a Sabbath year. And during this year, the land was to be rested. They weren't supposed to farm the land at all. Debts were to be canceled. And people who had sold themselves into slavery in order to work off debts that they had accrued were to be released from those debts. So during the Sabbath year, God's people were to rest the land, cancel debts, and release slaves. And then Leviticus chapter 25 says that after seven cycles of seven years, every 50th year, 
was to be proclaimed the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is the English translation of a Hebrew word that means sound the horn. And God instituted Jubilee as a sort of super Sabbath, as the Sabbath of all Sabbaths. And so in this 50th year, the year of Jubilee, in addition to all of the regular Sabbath year observances, in addition to resting the land, in addition to canceling debts, in addition to freeing slaves, during the year of Jubilee, all of the land was also to be returned to the owners who had held it for the previous 50 years. So during the year of Jubilee, all the land was to be returned to the owners who held it at the beginning of the 50-year period. And all of this was ultimately about the Israelites rehearsing, living out what they themselves had experienced through the Exodus. It was about them mirroring God's mercy and his generosity to others as they had lived it out themselves. It was about them being the embodiment of his presence on earth. Jubilee was about God's people mirroring the mercy and generosity that they had experienced themselves to others. But unfortunately, despite both the clarity and the specificity of these laws, there's very little evidence that the Israelites actually obeyed the prescriptions of the sabbatical and jubilee years. Historical references outside of scripture suggest that leaving the land idle for the seventh year, that the, the provision to rest the land, was probably practiced at least until the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and perhaps for a little bit longer after that. But when it comes to the other aspects of these Sabbath and Jubilee laws, right, releasing slaves and forgiving debts and returning land to its original owners, there's no real evidence that the Israelites practiced them. And that would certainly explain why we find several of the prophets rebuking the nation of Israel for not being faithful to these practices that were at the heart of Jubilee. Look at these words from Jeremiah chapter 34. It says, but now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You have not obeyed me. You have not proclaimed freedom to your own people. So I now proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. Freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. I will make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. But God's disdain for the Israelites' failure to free slaves definitely comes through loud and clear there in the words of the prophet Jeremiah. In the last chapters of Ezekiel, the prophet calls for jubilee to be reestablished because it wasn't being observed. And then Nehemiah rebuked the nobles and officials for the conditions that existed after the Israelites returned to Jerusalem following the exile in Babylon. And he called them to free those who were enslaved and to return the land to its original owners. And so we see repeatedly from the voices of the prophets that the Israelites were called out for not being faithful to the Jubilee practices. 
And then in Isaiah chapter 61, as the prophet looks forward to God's deliverance of his people from exile, Isaiah resets Jubilee as something that would be fulfilled through the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and this will sound familiar to you, says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And so Isaiah reveals there that the arrival of the Messiah, who would come to lead the Israelites out of poverty and captivity and into blessedness and joy, the arrival of the Messiah, Isaiah says, would be punctuated by the proclamation of Jubilee. One of the signs of the arrival of the Messiah was that the Messiah would declare Jubilee. And so what was originally inspired by God's rescue of his people from Egypt now becomes a sign through Isaiah of God's rescue of his people from exile through the coming of the Messiah. And so, given all of that, going back to that synagogue where Jesus is in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, there's definitely a sense, given all of that history, in which Jesus' pronouncement of Jubilee from Isaiah and the connection with the Messiah was like a song that had somehow been forgotten. Right? And Jesus is somehow reacquainting everyone with it. Right? He's, he's bringing it back. And as we see from the people's response, much like we saw in the film clip when the people were shocked and in awe and speechless at yesterday, Jesus' sermon had the same effect. Everyone was sitting there looking at him. They were stunned. Jesus' sermon was stunning to them. And it wasn't just stunning because Jesus was pro proclaiming himself to be this Messiah who Isaiah had said would come and proclaim Jubilee. It was also stunning because of how Jesus changed the song. It was stunning because of what Jesus omitted when he was reacquainting everyone with this text. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, says that the coming Messiah would not only proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, but he would also proclaim a day of vengeance against the enemies of Israel. But what's interesting is that as Jesus reads this portion of Isaiah chapter 61 in the synagogue, he stops short of reading that second part. Right? Jesus doesn't go on to mention any day of God's vengeance against the enemies of the Israelites. He doesn't read that phrase. And the implications of that are huge. Right? By not mentioning that day of vengeance, Jesus is revealing that the jubilee that he has come to proclaim and that he is presently announcing does not just mean freedom and justice and forgiveness and redemption and restoration for the Israelites. It also means freedom and justice and forgiveness and redemption and restoration for everyone. This jubilee that Jesus is pronouncing is for everyone. 
And in the event that anyone in the synagogue on that day may have missed the move that Jesus was making, he goes on to say this in Luke chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus says, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus does something very ingenious there with those two examples that he selects from the Old Testament. He chooses two examples of God's grace and mercy that were shown to, through Elijah and Elisha to Gentiles. And he evokes those specific examples in order to underscore that this pronouncement of jubilee that he was making was indeed universal. Right? Instead of coming to announce the year of the Lord's favor for the Israelites and a day of vengeance against the Gentiles, Jesus was announcing mercy and forgiveness and deliverance for everyone. And that's precisely what made Jesus' reading of this passage and his announcement afterwards that he was the fulfillment of it so significant, so stunning, and so dumbfounding. That Jesus came and he sounded the horn of Jubilee. That he sounded the horn of the year of the Lord's favor. And as he went on his way from that synagogue in Nazareth, and as his public ministry unfolded, as he taught, as he performed miracles, as he interacted with people, Jesus embodied those words from Isaiah chapter 61. Now, Jesus didn't come and just pronounce jubilee. He lived it. He embodied it. And he preached good news to the poor. He restored sight to the blind, both literally, physically, and spiritually. He freed prisoners and the oppressed. And through his death and resurrection, he brought forgiveness for and freedom from sin for everyone. But Jesus came to sound the horn and announce the good news that we belong to God and that we have been liberated from the bond of sin. And so through Jesus, we are recipients of God's grace. And we are recipients of God's mercy. We are recipients of God's forgiveness and we are recipients of God's blessing and his provision. And because we are recipients of jubilee through Jesus, part of walking in the way of Jesus and part of living as missionaries involves us living jubilee like Jesus did. And it involves living Sabbath, living redemption, living freedom and living justice. Right? It involves living out the very heartbeat of God's kingdom, the very heartbeat of what he wants to see present in this place. 
And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring those themes of Jubilee, seeing the way that they are lived out in the context of scripture, and considering how we can live Jubilee and be signs of the presence of the kingdom in this place. The band's going to come now. And as they do, we're going to close this morning with a time of communion. And the elements that are on the table here in front of me, the bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, and the cup, which represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for us, are symbols that remind us of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and of the redemption and the freedom and the forgiveness and the justice that it represents. And so as the band plays for us, whenever you are ready, you are welcome to come to the table here in the front from either of the sides, get the elements, and then return to your seat through the center aisle. And after you've returned to your seat, you are welcome to take the elements individually whenever you are ready. And so this morning, as we come to the table, may we do this in remembrance of Jesus, our Jubilee. Amen.